Welcome, Nexus Church Online family, to our series in the book of Mark, simply titled Mark. Over the course of this year, we've been taking a look at the book of Mark, and over this summer, we've simplified it and taken it piece by piece and examined what exactly it looks like to follow after Jesus. I love the book of Mark. It is full of stories. It's full of teachings that Jesus did for us, his followers. And it is my hope and prayer that as you followed along and listened on your own, that this encourages you, challenges you, and maybe even brings you some comfort in your life in this world that we find ourselves in. And so if you would like more information about uh, who we are as Nexus Church or would like to give online, uh, you can go to nexuschurchmn.com. Uh, that's all one word, nexuschurchmn.com. And we'll have all the information there for you. Uh, you can also follow us along on Facebook if you are on Facebook at Nexus Church MN. You can also uh, email us at nexuschurchmn.com at gmail.com, Facebook messages, uh, do whatever works for you so that we can connect and help you in your journey in following Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church Family Online, to another week in our series in the book of Mark. Now this week we're, surprise, surprise, looking at another miracle that Jesus performed. In fact, we're going to be seeing two miracles, one being a deliverance of a demonic spirit and another one of healing of a deaf man. Now these two kind of are a lot different, but really, when you boil it right down, we're going to see that God wants to move, right? No matter what, how far gone you are or how close you are, God still wants to move in your life. And so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. And so I'll give you a moment to get into your Bibles if you're not driving or uh, doing something where you can't be looking at your Bible, but just listening along. Um, this passage is kind of, there's a few things that we need to understand about this passage. And the first one is, we'll unpack it after we read it, is the fact that Jesus is talking to a Gentile woman in the very first one, a mother of a demon-possessed girl. And now you're going to see a few things that are going to maybe raise some questions for you, and I want you to hold on to those. And, and if you don't see them, it's not a big deal. I'll kind of uncover them for you in just a moment. But this is a very um, scandalous, maybe, if you want to call it that, to our Christian faith, because you're going to see that Jesus rejected somebody, and, and he doesn't do that to a lot of people other than to uh, the religious elite. Jesus is always accepting of all people, especially those who are humble and, and looking for truth or looking for, for Jesus' movement. And so it's an interesting thought and kind of just giving you a precursor, and then we'll unpack that after we read. So Mark chapter 7, verse 24. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house, did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. 
Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first. Okay, now that's referring to the, uh, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. So let them be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And so in essence, what Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give you this special deliverance that you're looking for. It is for Jews only. Now, we'll cover that in just a second. But we're going to continue reading for now. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on bed, and the demon was gone. Crazy story, right? Jesus isn't done yet. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. Now, it's the region of ten cities. He's now back in the land of Jerusalem or in the land of the Jews, right? And they brought to him a deaf man who had, been, had a difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. And after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear, and the mute speak. Okay, there's a lot to cover in this passage, and I will definitely not, not go in as deep as we could probably go in if we took each of these by themselves and spent a couple hours discussing them. But first of all, what is up with Jesus not wanting to heal the Gentile woman's daughter? Like, what gives Right, Just last week, if you were listening, and if you didn't, go back online and listen to it, whether through podcasts or on our YouTube page or our, our Nexus Church at, at uh, dot .com, uh, you, you can listen to it there. <laughs> but he said in this passage, in brief, to the Pharisees, to these religious elite who, who looked down upon anybody who, who wasn't at their stature, right? Jesus criticized them for acting like they're holy, acting like they love God, but truly in their hearts, they were, they were hard-hearted. They, they didn't love God, and in fact, they really didn't love people, but they looked good. And so last week, we saw that Jesus is like, guys, you're supposed to care for others. You're supposed to take care of the needs of others. In fact, one of the examples he uses, he, he criticized them for not honoring their father and mother, taking care of them. Where they appear to be good, truly, they are hard-hearted and far from God. And so now Jesus seemingly has a hard heart towards this lady, like kind of mean, calling her a dog. Like, this is pretty harsh. 
We also read a very powerful passage we see in Isaiah 49.6, where God says, I will make you, that is Israel, as a light for the nations, so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth, the end of the earth. So, so God cares about all people. Why didn't he care about this Gentile woman? Jesus criticizes the religious elite. God's word says that, indeed, Israel, your job is to be a light to the nations, to show the salvation of God so that people may understand and believe. And then Jesus himself himself says in Luke 19.10 that, I have come to seek and to save the lost, that being all people. So what gives? Why is is Jesus seemingly rejecting this, this lady well, we, we need to go to verse 24 to really see kind of where things are coming from here because this is something that is very important because if indeed Jesus rejects her at first but after her response is like, all right, whatever, I'll give it to you because I, I guess I have to, right? Like there was actually a reason behind why Jesus said this. And in verse 24, we see that he entered the house and did not want anyone to know. He didn't want to be seen. Now, some commentaries I I read highlighted this, this verse and said, Jesus, in fact, loved all people, but he was, he was in this, this region where he didn't want to be seen with the Gentiles, because it would trip up some people's walk with God. You see, he understood that, that they were weak in their faith, and, and he wanted to be careful not to be seen. And so, so Jesus was in an area that he was mindful of others. And he knew that, that by being seen with this woman, by being seen in even the Gentile house where he was going into, that he ran the risk of taking people away from their progress toward God. We also read this. I want to read uh, Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8 quickly. This kind of really, in case this kind of, is a little hard for you to grasp, right? Like, this, this doesn't make sense. Jesus is very clear in Matthew verse, or chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, where he says, Jesus sent out the 12 after giving them instructions. Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you received, freely you give. You see, Jesus at this point in his ministry was to reconcile or redeem or, or help the people of Israel, the Jews, to be once and again restored in their relationship to the Father. You see, they were the original people that God came to. And their job was to, again, 
be the light to the nations so that they could see what it means to, to have a relationship with the Father so that they would want that. And so God sent Jesus in one last ditch effort to restore that relationship. We can read throughout the Old Testament time and again where, where God sent his messengers, we call them the prophets, to, to cry out to these people saying, please come back, please come back. I want a relationship with you. But over and over again, they constantly rejected that offer. And so he sent his own son and he goes to them and he says to his disciples in Matthew 10, don't go to anybody but the people of Israel. I'm giving them one last chance. I'm giving them one last chance. And then Romans spells it out perfectly. Romans 11. And we'll just kind of jump around a little bit because this is a fairly big chapter. And there's so much to it that could easily take me off track quickly. But there's just a handful of verses that I want to highlight. And this just shows that, that God sent Jesus to the Israelites to once again redeem them, but they ended up rejecting him, turning away from that plea to come back to the Father, that, that God sent Jesus to redeem them. And here's Paul giving this very clear explanation of what that meant. He said in verse 11 of Romans 11, I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Now this is referring to them being never received into the kingdom of God again, that is the Jews. Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, that is rejecting Jesus, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now if their transgression brings riches for the world, and their failure riches to the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? Kind of hinting at the fact that there will be a future where Israel will receive Jesus as Savior. I'm going to jump down to verse 25. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so Paul is saying, there's, this is part of God's plan, right? This is what, what, before the beginning of time, he knew what was going to happen because God doesn't live in time, right? He, he lives above time. He's all-powerful. He's creator of all things. And so he knew that this is what was going to happen. This is part of his story. And then he goes on and says in verse 26, And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. I don't exactly know how that's going to happen, because that's still to come. But that is God's promise to his people, the Israelites. Verse 28, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, but regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable, going way back to Abraham, right? Like this is going back to Abraham and David and how God looks at them and, their, and has favor on them because of their heart towards him, their faithfulness towards him. In verse 30, as he once disobeyed God, but now received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now 
disobeyed resulting in mercy to you so that they also may now receive mercy for God has imprisoned all in the disobedience so that they may have mercy on all we'll pause there and I'll come back to verse 33 in just a second because it's so beautiful but God works in ways that we don't always understand is what the following passage will say but we know this that God cares for all people. He always has. This isn't something new. His plan has just shifted. And now he sent Jesus to be that light. And then he sent his disciples, as we read here, to once again continue that message so that all will believe. And so now back to the, our story. If you're not a mother today, this may not apply to you, but for those of you who have a mother, <laughs> which all of us do, or are a mother, put yourself into this mother's shoes, right? She's sitting, looking at Jesus, and she knows that he is the only answer. And maybe like others that we have read in, in Mark, she's done everything. She's seen all the doctors. She's, she's gone to the specialist. She's done everything she can, and there's no answers for her daughter. This is it. Jesus is the only known cure for any disease. And she looks at him, and she says, I know that you are a Jew and that Jews cannot associate with me, a Gentile. But even so, I know that God has favor on us through you. That's in essence what she's saying. She's like, e -e -e even the breadcrumbs fall to us. Right? She understood this concept we just talked about. She understood that, that, that in a very weird way, she understood that salvation was available to the Gentiles through the Jewish people. She understood that there was hope there. And she looks at Jesus and she says, I know, I know who you are. I know that you can indeed heal and deliver my daughter. And Jesus looks at her and he saw her, the pain. He saw the hurt. He once again had compassion. And because of her obedience, her faith, her, her commitment, that, 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 I mean, if, again, if you're a mother or you know a mother and, and, there's son or daughter is going through a difficulty, whether it's physical or emotional or maybe relational with, with somebody at school or whatever. When, when a mother sees their child in pain, they stand up and they won't back down. And Jesus saw that look in her eyes. He saw the desire she had. She saw the love for her daughter. And she received the deliverance she was looking for. That is so good. That is so good because 
Our freedom is much like that. If there's one thing that we can know for sure throughout all of these these stories we've read of miracles or healings or deliverances, whatever it might be categorized as, we know, we know that nothing is too big or too small. And we know that God desires to deliver. He desires to make us whole. He desires that. No one. No one is too far gone for God. But then this story isn't done that we read today. Jesus' dramatic healings continued. But this time, it was weird. I don't know how else to say it, but as I was reading first thing that just came to my mind was he did what like where did that come from i mean come on if you've been following along in this series or if you've read the book of mark or if you've done any kind of study in god's word at all this is kind of a weird thing that jesus doesn't do very often like jesus typically touches or somebody touches him or he speaks something and a person's healed, right? Like, that's how Jesus is. But in this passage, in verse 33, we read, So he took him away from the crowd in private, and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. What? That's just bizarre. I mean, if somebody were to come up to you and put their two pointer fingers, one in each ear, and then spit on their finger and put it on your tongue, well, they probably would never get their finger to your tongue because you'd be gone by then, right? But we have to understand that there's something else going on here. We don't understand the whole story. Something that I've heard so many times is repeated over and over and over and over and over again in my, my studies, in my education, is context, context, context. Unfortunately, we don't know who this man is. We don't get a name. We only know where he's from. But that doesn't give us a whole lot of understanding. But I think... I think it's best understood, as, as Morgan put it, we understand that Jesus, over and over again in scriptures, adapted his method to the peculiar circumstances of a need of the one whom he is dealing with, right? Morgan goes on to say, I'm quite convinced if we could perfectly know these men, we could discover the reason for the message and the method. We don't understand it. Simply put, Jesus intimately knows you and will use methods that reveal his care for you. I like that. I like that. I, I need to understand that sometimes the way Jesus does things 
doesn't line up with what the world says it needs to. But to me, it's powerful. To this man, putting two fingers in his ears and spitting on his finger and putting it on his tongue was powerful. It was something that, that, that spoke intimately to him. And it healed him of his deafness, but it, but it healed him internally, right? Like there was something there that Jesus did that touched him, touched him powerfully. And how do we know this? Well, the title of this message came from this thought. Their response, verse 37, they were extremely astonished. It wasn't like Jesus had never healed a deaf person, right? I mean, crying out loud, he, he raised people from the dead at this point. But he, he just delivered a person from a demon, and he'd done it already in the previous chapter. Like, like, Jesus has done a lot more dramatic things. But they saw it and were extremely astonished. And they said, he has done everything well. There was something in, in how Jesus approached this man that was very intimate, that spoke really deep, and other people knew it. It was transformational. It changed them. In fact, they, they couldn't stop proclaiming what Jesus had done, even though he ordered them to, like, stop it, guys. Like, this is not, don't, don't go crazy right now. Like, ah, yeah, share it with your personal friends, but just don't make it too public because these darn religious elite people are after me and they're trying to kill me and my time isn't yet come because I've got more to do before the Father takes me to be on his right hand. Like, I'm, I just, that stuff is happening in the background, right? And Jesus is like, just keep it toned down a little bit. But they couldn't stop proclaiming because it was so powerful, it was so intimate, and their testimony just spread like wildfire. It was so powerful. So powerful. In fact, finishing Romans 11, verses 33 through 36, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God sees your need. And he knows you intimately. He has the power. He has the wisdom to transform your life. It's just not for those people that were in Jesus' day. It's still there for you today. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, Jesus is long gone, right? And his disciples are continuing to do this powerful work. It wasn't just for Jesus. It wasn't just for a few of his followers. It's for all of us today to experience the intimate love 
and power and wisdom of the Father for us. But I want to make it very clear today that that power is available in all of its fullness for you today. However, we must do something with it. Craig Groeschel put it this way. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is equal to the plan, pain, I'm sorry, you're willing to endure. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is equal to the pain you're willing to endure. Right, like it's, God has all of your fullness waiting your fullness of life, your healing, your wholeness relationally, emotionally. Now, that doesn't mean that you're perfectly healed. I've heard so many stories of people that say, God hasn't answered my prayer. I've asked him to, to take this pain away or, or to, to work in my relationship here or to, you name it, deliver a loved one from alcohol. And and he hasn't. He hasn't answered my prayer. And I continue to go through all this hardship. Why doesn't God heal me? Why doesn't he make me whole? That's what would make me whole. And I, I just want to cry out and say, that's great that you're doing everything you can. But maybe God is, is moving and you just don't see him. Maybe he's working in a different way, in, in a way that's going to bring you more fullness than what you can see and what you think it should be. You, you'll never know the fullness of God until you get to the end of your time on earth and you look back and say, oh my goodness, God, your way was so much better than what I thought. I went through a lot of pain that I still didn't like. It still wasn't fun and I would never want to go through it again. But where you took me and how you got me there was exactly what I needed. I don't get it. I don't get why people have to put up with, with these, these demons inside their heads of anxiety or depression. or you Again, know, the list can go on of all the things people are dealing with today. I don't understand why God allows these things. But I do know God is moving. I do know that God cares. And as Craig Rochelle perfectly put it, we have to continue to fight forward. We have to go through that pain and not give up because God is moving. And if we give up, he can't move. He can, but we limit his power. We limit his power. Think about this. If, if, that, if that demon-possessed girl didn't have a mom who went to Jesus and face ridicule, right? She faced ridicule. She, she was told that she wasn't worthy enough. She knew that she could have been rejected. She knew that she potentially could have even potentially been harmed, maybe not by Jesus, but by somebody else for even trying to approach a Jewish rabbi. But she did it. She went through the potential pain to do good for her daughter. And how about this, this, this deaf man, right? He had to do something. If, if he didn't go to Jesus, he wouldn't have found healing. If his friends wouldn't have said, come on, you're going to go with us, he wouldn't have found healing. So that's my encouragement for you today. 
to continue to take the steps forward in your life to encounter God in a new way, maybe. Maybe to, to press in in a different way. Maybe to step back and say, God, I, I need some, some time with you for you to speak to me. Maybe it's to just meditate on God's word and let him speak to you and see what he says. But whatever you do, don't give up. Whatever you do, don't dwell on the negative because that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to dwell on the negative so you just get caught in this cycle of negativity and, and this self-prophesying life that you are living. You can change. You can experience freedom. You can, but you must keep moving. You must keep pressing into God. He is the only one who can make your life whole. Don't stop. Don't stop. Father, I pray right now for every person listening. God, wherever they are, you know where they are. You know the pain that they've endured. You know the mind games that are going on inside them. Even now as I pray, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that they won't cave in to the negative thoughts that the enemy is throwing at them saying, you've done this so many times. You've tried so many times and it has never worked. Father, don't allow the enemy to win. Give them courage. Give them hope. Holy Spirit, enter their hearts and their minds right now as I pray, God, and give them that, that, that courage to go forward again. Because, God, I know when we continue to fight towards you, you promise in James 4, 8, that you will draw near to us and you will fight for us. You are our champion and you don't give up. And I pray that over every person now in the name of Jesus that they, just like our two miracles that we read today, will experience, experience freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today, Nexus Church family. We will see you again real soon.